The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Engaging conversation with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the Afternoon News on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Well, as you've been uh, hearing on our news all day, support crews packing up in northern Thailand after the safe rescue of all 12 boys and their soccer coach from a flooded cave. The daring rescue mission in the treacherous and flooded network of caves has ended an 18-day ordeal that riveted Thailand and the world. Now, the boys and their soccer coach could still find themselves away from family and friends for about another seven days. Uh, This time, though, uh, a lot more comfortable confines of a hospital as they begin their recovery. To talk more about this incredible rescue, we're joined by Christian Stenner, the coordinator of the Alberta BC Cave Rescue Service. Christian, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. Now, uh, first off, your your reaction to the news, I think, caught them all out today. Yeah, it was uh, amazing to hear that uh, not only was it successful, but uh, that uh, the rescuers uh, as well who were in the cave got out shortly thereafter. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, the whole thing has just been unprecedented and uh, an amazing response by the, the community and the world. For, for those of us who don't know <laughs> just how risky this was, when you take a look at how they did it, I know there was a lot of plans on the table, a lot of uh, proposals as to how to do it. When they ended up doing it the way they did, what made it incredibly tricky? Can you, can you expand on that from your experience? Sure. Well, anytime somebody is injured or hurt or, or needs assistance to get out of a cave, uh, it's a, a very resource-intensive and tricky operation. There's, there's uh, you know, loose rock, there's confined spaces, there's uh, vertical drops sometimes to negotiate and take away all of the air and then fill passages with water. And that's what we've got here is these... Uh, you know, narrow passages with water that uh, was really the the most tricky obstacle and increased the risk tenfold. So, and uh, yeah, as you look at kind of the diagram and, and the, the, the pictures of how they were going to do this, there were some spots that required a 30-meter scuba dive. Others required divers to remove tanks. They somehow managed to get the kids to do this, too. They coached the kids through this, Christian. I mean, how amazing is that in, in your books? Yeah, it's it's certainly unprecedented, and... and uh I mean, even though there has been there have been rescues around the world in caves where people have been caught behind flooded passages, and there's even been times where they've had to get a sort of a crash course in scuba diving to get back out, but never so many people and never such a youthful group. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really amazing is is the you know that they were able to to get these kids uh, trained and comfortable enough, and and to be able to mitigate some of the risks by using a full face mask, uh, a thick dive line that they could follow, and having the divers on either side. And they had, actually, there was talk today that they had given the kids some Mm anti-anxiety medication as well before they started that. And I'm thinking, you know, part of that, that's a really good idea. The other part is having been a diver, I'm not sure that I would ever want to do that, diving on Well, I wouldn't want the divers to do it, but (laughs) I can understand sedating the children a little bit. From your experience, do you know anything about this? I I know we've heard stories out of Thailand that, uh, as you heard in our introduction when we brought you on, 
uh, that they're in hospital now because there's certain dangers associated with having been in a cave for a long period of time. Do you know anything about that? Uh, a little bit. I, I, I know that uh, they've made some mention of, of cave disease mm-hmm. uh, in some of the news reports. And really what they, I think they're referring to is, is there's a risk of, of things like histoplasmosis, which uh, comes from bat guano. Um, there's a risk of some bacterial infections that they could have maybe uh, got from drinking contaminated water uh, in the cave, or perhaps from dealing with uh, sort of managing their waste while they've been mm-hmm. in this confined space underground. Um, you know, if, if you're in a cave for a long period of time on an expedition that you sort of planned, uh, so I've been underground for a week at a time oh you know, on purpose. <laughs> and you, 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 there isn't anything that's specifically going to happen to you because of that. But I think it's more due to their unique situation that they're being very careful. Yeah, and someone had just texted in, say, why are they, why are they being kept from their parents and, and, and other things? And, and that's exactly it. They're just making sure that they're healthy right now and uh, alleviating, alleviating, alleviating any concerns about about this uh, possibility of cave disease and that sort of stuff. So, you, so Christian, you're saying that you've been underground for a whole week. I mean, this is something, this is like a vacation for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a hobby. Um, and uh, uh, to explore caves, it's, it's really one of the most unique things you can do. Like, there's not many unexplored places left on our planet. Mm. You look at things like the depths of our caves and the depths of the oceans. Uh, you can go into a cave, and there's places even in Alberta and BC, uh, many places where you can be the first person, the first human to ever step foot there, wow. uh, and and that's you. Like you're an explorer. Uh, so amazing! It's an amazing uh, hobby. Of course, you need to do that safely. Hmm. Um, when you're talking about, de- can you maybe expand a little bit more on on maybe one of the trips that you've done that was really spectacular? And how far in do you go? How deep do you go? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. So I, I guess one of the, the sort of uh, bigger expeditions I was on, five years ago, uh, I was on an expedition to a cave called Sistema Huatla in Mexico. And uh, actually on that expedition was where I met two of the cave divers who came from Britain to go overseas to Thailand uh, and help with the rescue effort. So I know a couple of the folks that were the rescue divers. Wow. Uh, but at any rate, yeah, so we were in, in Mexico. That was, uh, the whole expedition was about eight weeks, uh, and the, the, uh, the goal was to sort of extend the depth of this cave. And on that expedition, the whole team of us, there was 44 people from uh, probably about 10 different countries, um, uh, were able to establish that cave as the deepest in the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. incredible. That was, uh, I think, we ended up at... Uh, or the two, you know, divers uh, who who made it to the furthest depths were about uh, fifteen hundred uh, meters deep from the top entrance of the. Cave. Yeah, there's no. Uh, Andrew's just shaking his yeah. head right now. He's just shaking his well, head. Well, there's no drink service down there. I'll tell you that right now. So, uh, let me uh, ask you about the cave rescue service you're part of. Um, I honestly didn't know it existed until about two hours ago. What what's that about, and how often are you called upon? Yeah, well, we are very lucky in that uh, cave rescue is a low-frequency event in Canada. So, um, you know, if we look at, say, the 30 years or so history of of things that have been reported into us, we can see about 80 incidents um, of different sort of injuries or calls out um, 
that have happened in caves in Canada. Uh, there, you know, of course, maybe more that are not sort of reported that, uh, you know, people have been hurt and maybe got themselves out mm-hmm. uh, sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, so very low frequency uh uh, type of event, but when it happens, uh, it tends to be very resource intensive. As you can see from Thailand, a few years ago in Germany was a major rescue. Uh, even uh, the ones that we've had here, where there's maybe one person been trapped uh, or or had to be taken out on a stretcher, you know, it can take a hundred people hmm. to affect that rescue, uh, and it takes days. Uh, so you know, even a you know a simple injury uh, without flooding, and <laughs> the other complications they had in Thailand can be very um, uh, very troublesome. So how, how would you plan a rescue then? So if you got called into action uh, here in Alberta, uh, knowing that this is the cave and maybe you're lucky enough you've been to that cave before or maybe there's some documents about that cave, but how do you how do you start planning a rescue, Christian? Yeah, it's definitely uh, dependent on sort of what resources you have available, where an injured person is, what sort of care they might need. Uh, and so forth. So usually what we do uh, is we get tasked, uh, any volunteer search and rescue uh, group has to be tasked by a government agency. So we're working on on behalf of the Park Service or the RCMP. And uh, what we would do is, is make sort of an assessment based on what we know of the cave. We'd send an initial response team in um, that would sort of assess the injury, give some basic medical support, and help us determine how to rig the cave if there's vertical drops or different things. And then we can send in rigging teams. We can send in stretcher teams, uh, people to help with communications, flagging a route, and, and all these other tasks that we would have to do. Yeah, so lots of moving parts for sure. I did want to ask you about this because a number of people have been questioning it. Um, the Navy SEAL that, that passed away um, laying out the oxygen canisters for this, and I don't know if you can answer it, Christian, or not, but... Or maybe it just shows the, 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 the dangerousness of this mission, of this rescue. But people are wondering how someone with that much experience could have died. Yeah, and I, I don't know the fine details of the exact reason, uh, other than it was reported that he ran out of his mm-hmm. air supply. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I couldn't really speculate on how on how that happened, if, if it was an equipment malfunction mm-hmm. or if it was uh, um, some sort of error or, or what. I, I really don't yeah. know. And you had mentioned that you knew the two, two of the British um, divers who were involved in this. Have, have Had you stayed in contact with them? Do you plan to get in contact with them after this? Yes, uh, afterwards for sure, but uh, I know the British Cave Rescue Council had uh, tried to make a point of not naming the divers um, that were involved, partly because uh, they want the, they want to focus on their task at hand mm-hmm. and for, for other people or uh, to be trying to contact them or anything would just be uh, taking some focus away. So, so no, I didn't try to, to, to send any messages while it was going on, but I'll sure try to follow up now that I know that uh, everyone is out safe. Hey, uh, Christian, you're not afraid to go down into caves, and I'm not afraid to ask dumb questions, so let me ask one. (laughs) If you're trapped in a cave, how do you get hold of somebody to say you're trapped in a cave? Right. Uh, Well, that's one of the reasons why you need to be very prepared if you're going (laughs) to do any sort of cave exploration for sport or for um, exploration purposes. Having a team of people that you go with, so say three or four is a minimum, that way, if somebody gets trapped or hurt or stuck, there's always somebody who can stay with the trapped or hurt person and then another one or two people who can make their way out of the cave to, to sort of raise the alarm. 
so it's it's not like uh, if you get hurt on the side of a mountain or anything where or you might have cell service or that. Uh, you know, you have to get to the entrance before you can even perhaps make a call, and that's right. if you're in range. So, Christian, do you think as a result of this situation in Thailand, the the silver lining to it would be that rescuers learn something from this, or do you think the silver lining would be that the rest of us learned how dangerous cave exploration can be? You know, maybe it's a bit of both. Uh, I, I think that there are, there's, uh, you know, people that maybe go into caves that are a little unprepared, uh, or maybe they think it's sort of this benign environment. Maybe they're experienced in the mountains or hiking, but they don't just quite wrap their heads around the fact that if you do have an incident or you get hurt, that all these usual sort of things that are available on the surface, like GPSs and radios <laughs> and, and light, <laughs> those things don't <laughs> exist underground. So the consequences of, of an injury are, are, are more. Um, so that's one aspect. Uh, but the other one is, is, yeah, I'm sure that there's a lot of learning. Uh, that would come out of this that could help in in any kind of future situation. Christian Stenner joining us this afternoon, the uh, Provincial Coordinator of the Alberta BC Cave Rescue Service. One more question from a listener who just texted in, and I I love it when they do this because when we talk to someone that we've never had on before Mm -hmm. about a topic we've never discussed before, there's all sorts of questions that come flying at you. This person wants to know about pressure on the body or in the body when you're that deep in a cave. What is that like? Is Is there impacts on the body? Effects on the no, body? No, not that I've seen. And so a lot of caves are high up in the mountains, like the entrances. So uh, it's it's not as if you're you're going below sea level okay. or there's a pressure from being underwater. So the entrance may be at 2,000 meters elevation, and even if it's 1,500 meters deep, well, you're still 500 meters above sea level. Well, that makes so sense. So there isn't mm. really any, any difference there. Okay. Hmm. Thank you for taking the time. Very yeah. much appreciated, Christian, and very interesting. I look forward to talking to you again sometime, hopefully not on uh, a situation like this, but would like to find out more about what you do at another time. Yeah, there's great exploration happening. I'd love to talk more about that. Awesome. We'll be in touch, Christian. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Andrew, would you ever do go into a cave? Like do a... Well, I guess. I, I don't think... I mean, I, I wouldn't mean, like, go... Like 10 feet? <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, my biggest fear, honestly, in going in a cave is what's living in the cave. Well, yeah. I don't want to come face-to-face with some big furry thing or those bats or... I, I've never had the opportunity to go mm-hmm. in a cave. I've never even thought about it. Because it makes me a little claustrophobic. Just thinking about it. it, it it automatically kicks in some claustrophobia for me, um, and I don't I don't know why that is. I mean, I know there's mm. been people have said you need to watch this movie. It's very similar to what they had to do. You know, kind of being having to get your through is scuba diving and, mm-hmm. and getting through like trapped confines and stuff. And people who do, do cave diving and whatnot. I, I scuba dive. There's the last thing that I ever want to do is be in a cave while I'm yeah. diving. Do you know, I'm just not at an age where I'm looking for adventure anymore. The last adventurous thing I did was was because of this place <laughs> or scaled down the side of Sutton Place or whatever. And I don't even remember what that was for, but I remember I was the new guy. So you got to do it. So I, but you had yeah. a little bit of fear of heights too. Massive fear of heights. And I did pay attention to the training and all that kind of thing, but... You know, it all goes out. You, yeah. you freeze up in panic when you're coming down the mm-hmm. side and you're it's, you're not repelling or whatever. 
I remember Halsey at the time going, he, I wasn't even talking to him about it. Why would you jump off a perfectly good building? No, no, he opened the door. <laughs> I must have been talking about it on the air. He, he opened the door to the studio and he went, we all did that when we first came here. Then he walked out again. I was like, okay, I guess it's a, <coughs> I'm paying my dues. I'm not sure that I would ever do that. What I've done um, in a fire hall, like a fire rescue mm. center, I've done the rappelling down that way. Yeah. And they pretty much had to push me off the side of the railings. Like, okay, now I go. Because they dropped me down and then someone came and rescued me. But even that, I was like, I'm not letting go of this railing one way or another. I, no, that to me, was... I didn't no. do it right. And there's a, some small part of me that would do it again just to do it right. Yeah. But again, I'm getting older and my, yeah. my bones and muscles don't work the way they used my to. My heart? <laughs> yeah, my heart. I don't want to die on the side of a... Although that would be great radio. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> and we'd have an exclusive on it. <laughs> have you ever... You've bungee jumped, haven't you? Yeah. At West Edmonton Mall? Yeah. Oh, and uh, other places. And there are places I've never bungee jumped either. Nanaimo, I've bungee jumped. Yeah. Somewhere else I can't recall. But yeah, bungee jumping's another. You've got to, it's sort of like skydiving. The hardest part, and not meaning to stepping be, off. is stepping out. Yeah. Like, that's the hardest part. After that, yeah. everything else takes care of itself. Yeah, and you just hope, you really hope for the best. Yeah, you roll the dice a little yeah. bit. I mean, they're very safe. There's a lot of standards. But I mean, mm-hmm. I remember when training for that uh, rappel, and I don't know how many stories Sutton Place is. The one thing that stuck out of my mind during the training, and then I couldn't get out of my mind as we went down the side of the building, and they, they take you outside first, and you do one more tiny wall mm. where they re- they remind you of all the training you've received. Um, the one thing I couldn't get out of my mind is in the event of a catastrophic failure, and, and just those words, catastrophic uh-huh. failure, and there's, a, there's an end to that sentence, like, here's what we'll do. But you couldn't remember it. No, I remembered it. I just couldn't get it out of my mind that the possibility existed of a catastrophic mm-hmm. failure. And I know what they do. If they can't, if you can't go, they take all the equipment that's holding you to the roof and they lower it down so that you don't have to repel anymore. Oh, they okay. basically are lowering you. But, you know, I just, I couldn't function. I, I kept halfway down. I kept thinking, I forget everything except yeah. catastrophic failure. I tried to really enjoy the whole jumping out of a plane business mm. when I did that. Yeah. Um, and you're right. The hardest part was actually stepping out onto the strut of the plane and the guy saying, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, Just like that, too. All friendly. like. Yeah. And, okay. And I don't really remember much of the first few seconds. No. Were your just, eyes open or closed? I asked that question when I when it came down. They did the debriefing and I'm like, get this first off. Get this stuff off me immediately. Yeah. My, my dad was videotaping it and there was a lot of bleeps on that videotape. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I asked him, I said, were my eyes open when I left the plane? He says, oh, yeah, you smiled and you waved at me. And I said, are you joking me? Putting on a show, were you? Just, no, it it was sensory overload. I would do it, though, tandem. Our dog well, sitter to really sit at like tandem. The other well, you do really have to like the other person. Not at the end of it. You like the experience. I would do it tandem again. I don't think I'd ever do it solo again. The scare, the most frightened I've ever been was on a zip line in Mexico <laughs> where you're coming in hot. Yeah, like halfway down, I'm like, they do have regulations, right? Like there's, you know what I mean? You're like, we do have certain, yeah. there are steps and precautions, mm-hmm. you know, because it was so high and it felt like it was the end of like 16 zip yeah. lines and it really felt like I wasn't securely in the seat. Puerto Vallarta? Yes. <laughs> did that one too. Yeah, where they, is that yeah. like a, yeah, and they have underground caves. Yes. They have uh, bungee or, yeah. or those yeah. little cars you drive around. Yeah. But yeah, it was this, the last zip line, and it was at night. Yeah, it's like this glove's getting really hot. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I feel I feel completely unsafe here. Let's do this. The six thirty Chad afternoon news with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross weekdays at two on six thirty Chad.